This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Morning. Jesse told me a story yesterday about how he tried to drill a hole into a glass pot. <laughs> um, and he was just trying to get a little piece out of it so he could use it as a planter and water could drain. And he was being very careful to drill, uh, to drill into this glass, which you know we can probably imagine where this is going. Um, and he finally broke through and got a little piece out, and the whole thing shattered. <laughs> and so I feel a little bit like that in the topic of reconciliation. It's just woven through all of Scripture, and there's kind of a lot of like pieces of the biblical story that's connected to this idea of reconciliation. So this morning, I feel like I'm drilling into a glass thing, trying to get just a piece out so we can talk about reconciliation, but it may just all shatter uh, in front of us this morning. Um, So that's a little bit how I feel as we approach this topic of reconciliation, because it's it's so interconnected uh, to everything in the story of Scripture. So I'm going to be as careful as I can to take a little piece out and talk to us about reconciliation this morning. Uh, So let's start with prayer and then we'll jump right in. Father, I thank you so much that you are sitting on your throne. Uh, Hallelujah, what a savior. We can come before you in our weakness, um, whether it's approaching a topic, whether it's uh, a struggle at work, whether it's a relationship where we don't know what to do, um, whether it's just falling short of our own standards, Lord, we can, we can come to you humbly and know that you love us and care for us and you are a savior that we can worship and enjoy. Lord, I pray as we look at this topic this morning of reconciliation, as it comes out of uh, the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Lord, I pray that as we just take a moment to consider what you were accomplishing in your first advent, that we'd be drawn closer to you. And that ministers, as ministers of reconciliation, as ambassadors, as those who are in Christ pleading for others to be reconciled, that, that knowing who we are because of your reconciliation, Lord, we would live in light of that. So thank you for this time this morning. Uh, in your name I pray, amen. All right, so this morning we're talking about reconciliation as it relates to um, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I, uh, I struggled to find a version of this song that was my favorite. And I think uh, Rend Collective, is that how you say it, Ben? Yeah, I got head shaking. I really like, I like that, uh, that rendition of the song. And I think what I was looking for it says, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. I was, I was sort of looking for a song that communicated the, the, the sort of grandeur of this announcement. And hark, hark is not like a word that we use very often or ever um, until we sing this song every Christmas. But, but hark is like a way to say, listen up or pay attention, you know? Uh, I was thinking about that, that YouTuber. He's like, listen, Linda. You know, the little kid is like mouthing off to his mom. 
You, you could be like, hark, Linda. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, pay attention. Like, like this, is, this is something, this is an announcement. This is something that we should, we should kind of uh, zone in on and pay attention. And so it's, I think I struggled to find a song that was just sort of like bringing the grandeur of this, this announcement, that this is something that we should, we should really like pay attention to and listen. And I thought the, the Wren Collective version of Hark the Herald Angels Sing was a, was a good sort of an announcement feel as it, as it walked into that song. But I thought it would be good to look at Luke 2 for a second to give us just a little bit to maybe place ourselves in the story and what this song is, is talking about. Because it's we get, we get sort of a, almost like a scene that's based on the, the song is sort of based off of. So in Luke 2, verse 8, we have, we're starting verse 8. This is basically Jesus is born... Uh, and so now we're in this place, kind of just in the middle of nowhere, where these people are, are the shepherds are, are dealing with their sheep, and an angel shows up to tell them uh, what's going on, to sort of say, hark, <laughs> listen up, like pay attention, uh, something, something big is happening. And so in verse 8, it says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And that's a pretty common reaction to an angel show up in the Bible. Um, you know, a lot of time, you know, even the apostle John fell on his face and was gonna, was gonna worship an angel because it was so glorious. And, and the angel corrected him and said, hey, I'm just a, a fellow servant with you, worship, worship God. And so the, when these angels show up, we, it's almost like, uh, you know, the, the, the reality that we see in front of us gets peeled back and the, the, the sort of glory and majesty and the holiness of these sinless creatures overwhelm us. And it's really common in scripture for an angel to show up and, and people to, um, to sort of be in fear. But uh, what is also very common when the angels show up is they say to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothing and lying in a manger. So he's announcing the good news of the fact that Jesus has shown up on the scene. And in verse 13, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, A multitude of the heavenly hosts. One of the pastors that uh, I've been chatting with about just this sermon series said that often in scripture, the idea of a host is like an army. It's, it's not, uh, that, that's the association there. So it's like they're talking to an angel. They're like already scared to death because this angel shows up. And the angel's like, hey, don't worry. I'm gonna announce to you this really good news about Jesus himself. And then all of a sudden, it's, just, it's like one of those little one sentence things in the Bible you can just pass over. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, a multitude. So it's like, it's like the sky peels back and there's this giant angelic army 
who knows like how big and ginormous this thing is. And they sing in unison, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So, so this, the sky just gets ripped out in front of them. There's this huge angelic army. The angels already talking directly to them. They're like scared to death. And it's almost like I feel the sense of the song, like hark, like pay attention, like this huge thing is happening. And, and right after that, I love the line uh, in Matthew, verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. It's like, they had to have been like in shock a little bit, like just like, hey, we should probably go check that out. <laughs> you know, like, like do you, you see, do you see what I saw? You know, like, they're just like overwhelmed with this like announcement that's saying the, the savior has come. There, there's sort of, there's this huge almost like never before picture in scripture where an angel army appears on heaven and sings this worship announcement about the coming of God. And the, and the shepherds are like, hey, we, should, we, should, we should probably go, we should probably go see what they were talking about. It was like a really big deal. And I think, I think that that helps kind of set the stage for the beginning of the song. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Like this is a really big deal. And if you think about it in light of kind of where we are at in this, the sort of grand story of the Bible, it makes sense. We, have the, we, we talk about creation, it's a downer, we talk about the fall, and we talk about how God has promised all of these things, so there's the arrow going this way. This, this is thousands of years of this promise being unfolded and, and details of it sort of growing. And then before we get to this giant announcement, there's, there's hundreds of years of silence from God. Hundreds of years of silence from God. And these shepherds would have been, it's implied they would have been somewhat familiar with, with some of the promises of God. It's because the story goes in the book of Luke. And so now we are moving into the beginning of reconciliation with the cross. The fact that Jesus was born is we're moving into the next act of the story. So it seems appropriate then that God would bring an army of heavenly angels in a, in a manner he's never done before to say, hey, pay attention. There's a, there's, a, there's a big deal thing that's about to happen with the birth of Jesus. And I like how um, the song and sort of the, as, the, as the, the angels are singing glory to the newborn king, it picks up on the story and says, peace on earth and mercy mild. It says in this little child, God and sinners reconciled. God and sinners reconciled. It's like the song is aware that this is a, an angelic announcement. This is a, a really big deal. And that now that this, this king is born and it is on earth, the thing that was broken, the, the sort of the X part in the story, the thing that's been broken from the very beginning, God cast men out, men and women out from his presence in the garden. There was a break in the relationship. Now that Jesus is born, God and sinners are gonna be reconciled. And I looked up, 
you know, the Webster Dictionary definition of reconciliation is to restore to friendship or harmony. To restore to friendship or harmony. That's what it means to be reconciled. Another word we talked about um, a couple of months ago, we talked about this idea of peace. Peace is like, as uh, peace is more along the lines of like uh, completeness or fullness or, or satisfaction or comes from the, the Hebrew word shalom or the Greek word irene. It's this idea that something is finally put to whole, is complete. And so this idea of peace, this, this idea of being whole and being complete is a, almost like two sides of the same coin of the idea of reconcile. You and I, made in God's image, when we are cast out, when we, when we don't have a right relationship with God, we can't be at peace. But when that relationship is reconciled, when there's a, a restoration of friendship and harmony with the creator himself, when there's reconciliation, then, there, then there's also peace. So I want to spend the, the rest of the time trying to hit on, on two things. Because I, 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 I love the angelic like announcement, like hark, this is like a huge deal. So I want to talk about the beauty of reconciliation and the mission of reconciliation. The beauty of reconciliation and the mission of reconciliation. And I, and I have kind of like three little subpoints. Um, in each one of those, but they're the same. So I think it'll be, I think hopefully that will kind of tie some of these things together. And we're gonna skip around a little bit in scripture too. So I tried to, I always try to match with where I'm going um, with what's up on the screen, but sometimes it doesn't work out. Um, but that's the, that's the best case scenario. So we're gonna look at the beauty of reconciliation. How is this, how are God and sinners reconciled? And why is that something that's, that's beautiful? Let's look at Romans 5. Romans 5, we'll start in verse 10. This gives us a little picture of our reconciliation. The three kind of aspects or the the three ways that reconciliation is beautiful, we're gonna look at the the sacrifice, we're gonna look at the peace, and we're gonna look at the are not. And I'll get to that. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I guess I'm guessing someone back there was guessing what that was. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. So the uh, three three beautiful elements of of reconciliation, and then we'll look at the the mission of reconciliation. Romans five verse ten. It says, "For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son." Amen. Amen. While we were enemies, while we were, while we had hatred for God, while we rejected God, while we continued to sin and ignore God, while we were enemies of God, and you think about a lot of the story, Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden because they rejected the goodness and the truth of who God was and what he had said. So while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. One of the, one of the beautiful elements of our reconciliation 
is that Jesus gave himself, he sacrificed the, the, the glory and the wonder of the, uh, in the heavenly places with the Father. He gave his life for us, not because we were so friendly to him. He gave his life, life for us so that we could be reconciled when we were enemies. Paul goes on, he says, much more, now that we are reconciled, we, shall we be saved by his life? Much more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received reconciliation. The beauty of reconciliation is that we receive reconciliation through Christ as a sacrifice. Reconciliation came at, at someone else's expense. You were not reconciled to God because of anything you did. You were actually reconciled to God at someone else's expense. That's the, that's the beauty of the reconciliation that the angels sing about between, between God and sinners, is that it didn't come at your expense, it came at the expense of someone else. It was a sacrifice. But it didn't just, it didn't just, uh, it wasn't just beautiful because Jesus sacrificed himself for us. It's beautiful because it, it, it goes somewhere. And we talked about that idea of peace. Ephesians 2, I think, is a really good passage that focuses on the peace that we receive through this reconciliation. It, it actually accomplishes something. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 12, says, remember, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Basically what he's saying there, he's talking to a church filled with Jews and not Jews. That's basically the only category for people in the Old Testament. Jews and not Jews, Jews and Gentiles. So he's talking to a church filled with both of these groups. And he's saying, hey, you may not have been descended from Abraham, the one who had all of these promises that God would reconcile. You were, you were sort of estranged. You were, you were outside of this, this group of people where there, was a, where there was a promise for reconciliation to be united back uh, in good favor with the Lord. He says, remember, you were strangers and aliens from that. You, you were separated from these things. And he goes on to say, but now... In Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Same thing that he's saying in Romans. Because of the sacrifice of somebody else, because of the reconciliation that came at someone else's expense, you are now brought near. And he goes on to give us some explanation. He says, for he himself is our peace. He is our peace. He's telling us this reconciliation that we have in Christ that he sacrificed for us is what makes us whole, is what makes us complete, is what, what, what enables us to have the, the shalom that's talked about in the Old Testament. He is your peace. He goes on to talk about these two groups. Jesus, who is our peace, who has made us both one, 
and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. He's saying there, there were things that, that separated the Jewish people from the rest of the world. There were ordinances that they had to dress a certain way, they had to eat a certain way. They were, they were confined to even to the, the promised land with some particular there. He's like, but now that Jesus has come, now that he has sacrificed himself, now that he's given himself to you for reconciliation, those things have been done away with. And now there's peace, there's a completeness, there's a wholeness as we're reconciled to God, we're also reconciled to one another. There, there's, there's unity between two groups uh, that, that, that's brought together in the reconciliation that God, God brings. Verse 16 says, and, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is the beauty of reconciliation. It brings peace and destroys the hostility. It brings peace and destroys the hostility. It, uh, the, the Webster definition was to restore friendship or harmony. Where there is hostility, there is not reconciliation. And now that Jesus has, has sacrificed for us, he destroys that hostility. And verse 17 says, and he, and he came and preached peace to you who were far, far off and peace to those who were near. This is, this is the beauty of reconciliation that is announced by the angels. It's this idea that now that Jesus has sacrificed himself for us, now that we have been reconciled to God, now that we're united in Christ, together we're made complete. Together we're made whole. Together we have peace in Jesus himself. It's one of the, the beauty of reconciliation is that it, it isn't just at another's expense. It's something that actually brings peace. And the third thing, the third sort of beautiful aspect of reconciliation I put um, are not, which if we've been tracking with any of the COVID things over the last couple of years, it's the contagiousness and transmissibility of infectious pathogens. <laughs> Bridget's shaking her head over there. I thought it's the, it's the contagiousness or transmissibility of infectious pathogens. I, I thought this was just a, uh, uh, I'm taking something negative and, and making it beautiful, at least attempting to. As God reconciles us to himself, he spreads that reconciliation in a contagious way throughout all of the world. This is the beauty of that reconciliation that began uh, so long ago that the angels announced. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. The beauty of this reconciliation is that it spreads. God is reconciling us to himself so that you and I could be reconciled to others. 2 Corinthians 5, look at 16. It says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. So we don't think of anyone in this world, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now that, now that Christ is resurrected, now that he is part of the new creation, we see Jesus as a new creation, just like we should see one another. Verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone then is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He's just describing the reality of what Jesus is doing. As he reconciles us to God, as he sacrifices for us, as he makes us complete and brings us peace, he's making a a, a statement about reality. If you are connected to Jesus, you are now a new creation. Something has completely changed about who you are. And because of that, we should consider each other that way. Just like we would consider Jesus a new creation, resurrected in heavenly glory, sitting on the throne, never to suffer again. Jesus is in a, in a glorified state that he wasn't in while he was walking around in his suffering before the cross. Just as we consider him a new creation, you also are a new creation in Christ. He's making a statement about who you are. And look at verse 17, sorry, 18. So he he says all of that stuff about new creation in 18 says all of this, the, the things I just said, is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is, the, this is the beauty of reconciliation. It's not just designed to be between uh, a man and, and a God or a woman and a God. God has created us new. God has reconciled us to Jesus himself or in Christ to God. And so now you and I, objectively, who we are is completely changed. And now we are part of the spreading of that reconciliation. We are ministers of reconciliation. We are called to image that God who sacrifices himself for others so that there would be reconciliation. It's, It's he does something that's contagious. He does something that spreads. This is the beauty of the reconciliation that God has accomplished. It kind of leads us to our mission of reconciliation. He says in 2 Corinthians 14 and 15, or 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 and 15. He says, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It talks about this reality that we're ambassadors. I skipped over that verse in verse 20. And I'm kind of in chapter five here. He says, we're ambassadors for Christ, making his, God making his appeal through us. You and I, as ministers of reconciliation, are ambassadors to those around us for reconciliation. This is the mission of reconciliation. The truth that because we have now been reconciled to a God who sacrifices himself for us, to a God who is wanting to complete us in him so that we could have peace, to a God that's now united others to him so that we are, ourselves are now completely changed, we're new creations, we are now ambassadors with that same message. 
We are now ministers of reconciliation. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. It's interesting, he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He's participating in that infectious beauty of reconciliation by saying, I have been reconciled And he's talking to believers in Corinthians. He's saying, be reconciled to God. It took me a second, I was thinking, if he's imploring the people he's writing to, how is that related to his reconciliation with them? Because if the context of 2 Corinthians is there's some, there's some, Um, brokenness in the relationship between Paul and the church that he's writing to. So Paul is pursuing reconciliation with the church there. And and he's pleading with them to be reconciled. And he says, be reconciled to God. And I think there's a, there's such a strong connection. And we looked at Ephesians, where as, as we're united to God, we're united to each other. There's such a strong connection with our, our joy and our peace and our love that comes from God himself. If we are resting in the reconciliation that we have in God, then we cannot help but then be reconcilers to those around us. If we are reconciled to God, if we are new creations in Christ, if we find our, our peace and our joy in God himself, then, it, then it's then it's possible, it's actually possible for us to, to extend ourselves like Jesus extended himself, to sacrifice ourselves, to give ourselves to be reconciled to those around us. So I think what Paul is doing is he's pleading with them. He's pleading with them to consider and be motivated by the love that God has for them, by the reconciliation that they have with God as sinners so that they could then be reconciled to those around them. So this is our mission, our mission of reconciliation. You and I are ambassadors called because we have been reconciled to reconcile to those around us. Because we have been reconciled, we are called to restore friendship or harmony to those around us. So what does that look like? I feel like it's one of those things that's kind of easier said than done. I um, had some conversations with some of you this last week. Um, it's not that hard to think about the, even the difficulties of going back and seeing our family sometimes. That varies um, depending on whose family you're gonna go see. But there's, there's often a lot of brokenness in those situations and it's difficult to extend ourselves and be reconciled to those around us but it has to be rooted in this reality that that is who we are. Because of our reconciliation with Christ, that is who we are. We're called to reconcile then to those around us. I think, um, you know, kind of the elephant in the room is that we're not currently reconciled with Andy. Our previous pastor is difficult. 
What does it look like for there to be peace there? How do we pursue removing the enmity? That's difficult. That's hard. How do we put ourselves out there, even as a leadership team, in a way that, that we're willing to suffer so that we could, we could have peace against two parties? That's complicated. That's difficult. Think about over the years, you've been involved in a, in a church for a long time. You've seen, for a variety of reasons, people come and go. That's difficult. Sometimes there's enmity. Sometimes there's difficulty in that relationship. And it's, it's how, do we, how do we remove that so that there's peace? How do we give ourselves for others? How do we sacrifice? Because we are reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for reconciliation. How do we move towards people in a way that's, that's loving, that's kind, that's giving of ourselves in the way that Jesus did? How do, we, how do we do that when we think about these difficult moments where, where reconciliation seems, seems like a struggle, seems impossible? Paul actually gives us a handful of little practical tips in 1 Corinthians chapter six. I thought this was, I thought these were excellent sort of like guidelines to think through. As I am an ambassador, I'm a minister for reconciliation. These are, these are wonderful things that we can sort of like say, okay, well, practically then, how does that make sense? In chapter six, verse three, he says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. What's our ministry? Only a few verses later, he says, we're ministers of reconciliation. We're ambassadors for Christ. And, and so I wanna, I wanna sort of get out of the way so that there's no fault found in my desire in my pleading, in my participating in reconciliation with those around us. And he tells us, he says, but in verse four, as servants of God, we commend ourselves. He's saying, this, this, is how I, this is how I recommend myself. This is how I put myself out there so that I could participate in reconciliation as an ambassador of reconciliation. We commend ourselves in every way and he gives us a giant list of sort of practical things, but it's sort of categorized by like four, four different phrases. He says, by great endurance. By great endurance. And he lists in inflictions, in hardships, in calamities, in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots, in labors, in sleepless nights, in hunger. Those are all difficult things to endure. Yeah, there's some of that in there too. Endurance though. How many of us have sought reconciliation as ambassadors of Christ, desiring to live in light of who we are, moving towards others, and it doesn't work out, and then we just write them off? Say, so, oh, I tried. I did my part. Paul's saying, this is how I don't get in the way, as I desire reconciliation with those around me as I live in light of who I am in Christ, I endure. I put myself out there through a long list of things I hope I don't have to go through. Afflictions, hunger, beatings, riots. 
Think about how this images Christ. He put himself out there. How much greater was his endurance to leave the bosom of the father and to humble himself for the entire 33 years of his life. Deep humiliation for his entire life because he wanted to put himself out there and endure so that we would be reconciled. So as we image him as, as this infectious reconciliation spread, if we want it to spread, we can only do that by endurance. And the beauty of this is it's not meant to be, well, Jesus's life was terrible, so yours is gonna have to be if you want anything good to happen. <laughs> he, he's saying, I have this endurance because I rest in and I'm motivated by and I'm controlled by the love that Christ has for me. Like that's what fuels me. That's what gives me hope. That's what encourages me. That's where I find my peace, my satisfaction, my joy. And as I rest in what Christ has done and his love for me, I can have endurance as I, as I seek to live in the mission of reconciliation as an ambassador for Christ. He goes on to say, in six, verse six, another way we can live on in light of this is by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. That was probably the hardest one to read. How many people are we have enmity with? We have strife with. There isn't reconciliation where there isn't genuine love. It's just like an annoying thing that you want fixed. It's easy to look at people around me or situations I'm in and say, this is dumb, I'll do my part, but hopefully it's just less annoying after we reconcile. Paul's saying, you know how I am a minister of reconciliation? I have genuine love for those I wanna reconcile with. I care, I care for them. I'm kind to them. Their relationship with the Lord and the peace that they have matters to me. I have genuine love. I genuinely think of that person I'm not reconciled with as more important than myself. That's hard. I think a good way I th- maybe he did this on purpose, but it's like right before the Holy Spirit. <laughs> well, you need like a supernatural intervention to have genuine love for people that you're not reconciled with sometimes. Yes, Lord. And I think that's, that's why we go to him in prayer and confess these things. You're not hiding anything from him and say, Lord, I want there to be reconciliation, but actually mainly so it's not annoying to me. Help me desire reconciliation because that's who I am as a new creation in Christ and I'm imaging you to those around me. Help me go towards someone that has wronged me for reconciliation because I genuinely care for them and I love them and I want that to be something that glorifies and honors you so that they can be reconciled to you. Genuine love is hard. 
But if we're pursuing reconciliation and it's not coming from a place of genuine love, then we're not doing it as ambassadors of Christ. We're doing it for another reason. I like the, he says by, by truthful speech in verse seven, and the power of God by truthful speech. Sometimes in reconciliation, that means saying hard things, being truthful. We read in Ephesians, it says, remember uh, you were alienated, you were without God, you didn't have any of the promises, you're in a really bad spot, you were enemies of God. Those are all true, those are not fun to hear. But, but that's what makes it so beautiful that now God has done all these things for us. Jesus wasn't afraid to say a hard thing if he was doing it with genuine love. He wasn't afraid to be truthful. Sometimes being truthful when you pursue reconciliation is admitting your own failures. That's not fun, but it's true. You're a sinner too. No one is, is, is guilt-free in reconciliation in this world. Are we truthful about that? Do we pursue? Do we, do, we, do we think that if we acknowledge where we fall short, God can actually use that to draw us closer to him? We can be more and more appreciative of what Jesus has done for us so that we can be motivated by his love as we pursue reconciliation with those around us. The last thing he says is by the power of God. By the power of God. I feel like if we take any of those points seriously and apply endurance and apply genuine love, apply truthful speech to situations where there isn't reconciliation, we need this last one. Some of those, some of those relationships are very broken. Some of those relationships think that there's no possible way for there to be reconciliation. And, and I think in a, in a, in a sense, in a, as we, if we were to take the power of God out of the equation, I think there are a lot of relationships where we can say that's impossible. But as we pursue reconciliation, this is in light of who we are as new creation. This is in light of the fact that the Holy Spirit has been poured out into us and into his people and that we're not just participating in something that God has called us to do that maybe makes things more comfortable for our lives. As we pursue the mission of reconciliation, we're participating in something that God is purposing to do from all of creation. Like this is why the angel's saying, hark, this is why they're so excited about the glory of the newborn king. All of the broken things that keep us from reconciling are, are because of sin, Satan, and death. Jesus has now shown up to accomplish this mission, has died and risen again on the cross, reconciled us to God, and now as we are ambassadors reconciling others to him, this is what he's working to do. It's, the, it's by the power of God that actual relationships are reconciled and this thing spreads. That's why it's by the power of God. That's why the angels, the angels can sing, hark the herald angels sing. They're pointing to Jesus and saying, glory to the newborn king.
That's why it's possible. That's why there can be reconciliation. Peace on earth and mercy mild. The army of angels tearing open the sky saying, God and sinners reconciled. That's good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you reveal what you're doing in this world through your scriptures. Thank you, Lord, that as we stumble through reconciliation, maybe it's in our homes, maybe it's with our friends, maybe it's at work, maybe it's family, maybe it's people who are estranged from us. As we stumble through this messy business of reconciliation, we do that in light of who you are. So because of who you are, Lord, we are now ambassadors to spread reconciliation in this world. I pray that that would be something we do with wisdom, humility, and by your power. In your name I pray, amen.